You're listening to Hidden History, and this, this is a post-mortem. I want to bring up something that um, Jonathan um, last put in the um, bulwark today, and it was about how, in Ruth, we've all been on the, on the receiving end of the, of the Bernie online brigade, and here's what he says. He says, no other candidate has anything like this sort of digital brown shirt brigade, I mean, except for Donald Trump. I, I have my own views of the word socialist, and I'll be glad to tell them, share them with you in private. And they go back to uh, the early 1950s. I have an attitude about them. I remember the Cold War. I have an attitude towards Castro. I believe if Castro and the, and the, and the Reds had won the Cold War, there would have been executions in Central Park, and I might have been one of the ones getting executed. And certain other people would be there cheering, okay? So I have a problem with people who took the other side. I don't know who Bernie Bernie supports over these years. I don't know what he means by social. One week it's Denmark. We're going to be like Denmark. Scandals m hurt you more when they seem plausible, right? right? I mean, Bernie Sanders does have a sort of physicality, you know, when he when he talks that yes. is a shaking your finger yes. at Hillary Clinton, yes. shaking your finger, shovey, weirdy. You know, his his physicality yes. makes me think. Yeah, he could have said, you know, listen, I think in this environment a woman can't win. That doesn't seem like a crazy well. First of thing all, I think he, I think Bernie's lying. We see him. He slouches forward anyway, Joy. But here he turtles. If you look at his eye level where he normally answers questions, when he makes the denial his whole shoulders come up like a little kid getting caught his eye level is below his shoulders this is trying to hide in plain sight and many of us we don't know what to look for so if you look for this right out of the gate and the strongest denial is simply saying no and I think women in particular we want to believe human beings so we're like yeah I would I would say that he literally said well as a matter of fact I didn't say it that's nine words unnecessary no I was reading last night, Brian, I know you're a history guy too. I'm reading last night about the fall of France in the summer of 1940, and the general, Renault, calls up Churchill and says, it's over. And Churchill said, how can it be? you got the greatest army in Europe. How can it be over? He said, it's over. So I had that suppressed feeling, I can't be as wild as Carville, but he is damn smart, and I think he's damn right on this one. Can either coronavirus or Bernie Sanders be stopped? You're listening to episode 67, You Can't Win. The German playwright Bertolt Brecht once said, It takes courage to tell the truth about oneself, about one's own defeat. Many of the persecuted lose their capacity for seeing their own mistakes. It seems to them that the persecution itself is the greatest injustice. The persecutors are wicked simply because they persecute. The persecuted suffer because of their goodness. But this goodness has been beaten, defeated, suppressed. It was therefore a weak goodness, a bad, indefensible, unreliable goodness. For it will not do to grant that goodness must be weak as rain must be wet. It takes courage to say that the good were defeated not because they were good, but because they were weak. This quote offers us a great deal of insight into why a great number of progressive reform movements have electorally failed in the past. An embedded political and economic order will never vote for its own dismantling. 
those with institutional power will do everything within their grasp to defend it. What does that look like? It's hiring an unknown firm that received money from Pete Buttigieg's campaign to develop an insecure voting app for the Iowa caucuses that reported blatantly incorrect information, causing a multi-day delay in caucus results. It's rejecting mail-in ballots without notifying the voter. It's drastically reducing the number of polling places in non-white neighborhoods and on college campuses, which we saw on Super Tuesday in places like Texas and California, when those very same demographics were forced to wait in line for eight hours to cast their vote. It looks like changing polling places the day before Iowans and South Carolinians cast their vote. And worst of all, it looks like Tom Perez and Joe Biden and the rest of the DNC pushing people to go vote in person in Wisconsin during a pandemic. Something that Bernie Sanders actively fought against, seeking to postpone the primary and institute voting by mail. Biden and his surrogates said it was safe. That point alone should make it clear. If the Democratic establishment is willing to sacrifice the lives of its voters to ensure a Biden nomination, then there is no hope for any campaign that's fighting to improve the lives of individuals. Bernie Sanders was never going to win because they were never going to let him. On November 26, 2019, The Hill published a story about Obama's backroom maneuvering around the nomination, saying that he wanted to stay neutral, but with an advisor attesting that if Bernie were running away with it, I think maybe we would all have to say something. To these people, politics is a game. They lay down their pieces and rattle their swords, but in the end, it doesn't matter to them who wins because their reality will not change. Turns out, it was rigged from the start. Yesterday, an article ran in Vox called Why Bernie Sanders Lost the Democratic Primary. The abstract relishes in its self-righteousness, reading... The Sanders campaign and his supporters bet on a theory of class politics that turned out to be wrong. It goes on to say that this primary was a referendum on Obamaism and that Sanders' defeat at the hands of an apparatus built to grind any progressive change into dust means that his politics were wrong. Do you think that, that these people are self-aware? Do they even know that they're being led around by the nose by capital interests that don't care if they live or die? Do you think that the writers in the Washington Post press room, which during the 2016 campaign ran 16 hit pieces on Bernie Sanders in so many hours, do you think they know that Jeff Bezos isn't going to bring them into the fold for their loyalty? To him, they're just numbers on some middle manager's spreadsheet. I don't know if we should tell them. It seems cruel to me to thrust a mirror on a man with no face. This is, of course, a time for reflection about a campaign that many of us volunteered for, many more of us gave to, and that to all of us represented a beautiful empowering belief in a better world. 
Certainly, we too have made mistakes. That much is irrefutable. No campaign is perfect. But if all of us had made more calls, given more money, and knocked on more doors, would that have been able to offset the stomach-churning display of power that was the elimination of all other centrist candidates from the race and their immediate coalescence around the weakest among them, followed by Warren's exit and refusal to endorse the candidate that most closely embodied her platform? Would anything that we could have done been enough to beat that? If we gave a little more, if we put up more yard signs, made more calls, if someone dying of cancer hadn't committed the mortal sin of being angry at a talk show host on Twitter who thinks that their illness should bankrupt them, do you think that would have won it for us? No. Nothing will ever be good enough for these people. We can never be nice enough. We can never be respectful enough. We can never be desperate for change. We can never make demands. The white moderate who the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King described as more devoted to order than justice, that person is our enemy. These are the people who cling to institutional power with whatever miserable strength they have left. For them, every election is too important to push for reform. They say, we can talk about that after you vote for my candidate, who too supports bloody imperialism, police brutality, and economic oppression, but is calm and measured on Twitter. We can talk about it after the election. They never do. Until then, there will be four, eight, twelve, four hundred more years of the struggle. But whatever you do, you mustn't demand to be represented by a politician that fights for the interests of every American. After all, this election is too important to have principles. For decades, the Republican Party has been rightly criticized for clinging to power through the politics of fear. They don't want you to notice, but the Democrats do that too. Ask yourself, does Biden have a single policy that isn't not being Donald Trump? Of course not. He doesn't represent anything. He has no position that is not dictated to him by his donors. If the intellectual heavyweights at Vox think that Sanders playing a losing hand from a stacked deck is rebuke of his policies, then what was the 2016 election? A confirmation that nominating right-wing hawkish Democrats is the way to go? God, introspect. Just a little. Do it for yourself. No matter what happens in November, it's going to mean another four years of white-knuckle organizing. Because right now, not only are both of the nominees rapists, but they both bow before the same golden altar. Those in power cannot cling to the tattered rags of their party forever. A strong wind is coming. And soon they're going to find out that Bernie was our compromise.